Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. When author and illustrator Jarrett J. Krasaska was in kindergarten, his teacher asked him to draw a picture of his family, complete with a mom and dad. But as is the case with many children, Jarrett's life was more complicated than that. His mom was a heroin addict, in and out of rehab and prison. Jarrett didn't even know his father's name, let alone where to find him. Jarrett was raised by his maternal grandparents, loud, opinionated, but loving people who struggled with their own demons. In the midst of it all, Jarrett found a way to express himself through art. That's how Hey Kiddo was born, his first graphic novel memoir for older readers. Known for his work on funny, illustrated novels for young readers like the Lunch Lady series and Jedi Academy, Hey Kiddo is a departure for Jarrett, albeit an important one. He tackles head-on what it's like to grow up in a family struggling with addiction and how art helped him to not only survive, but thrive. We're delighted to be talking with Jarrett today about his incredible new book. But first, we'll hear from Kim Trinnell, executive editor of Scholastic Classroom Magazines. She has covered the opioid crisis for teenagers in the magazine Choices. If you're sharing this episode with young listeners, please be aware that it contains some mature themes, including drug use and mild profanity. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the program. Hi. Happy to be here. First, could you tell us a little bit about the magazine that you edit? I edit a magazine called Choices, and Choices specifically is for middle and high school students, and it's a health, life skills, and social-emotional learning magazine. Um, So, you know, we started out as a health magazine, and we've been evolving along with the way that health is being taught in schools now. So teachers still need to cover traditional health topics But they're also across disciplines trying to address social and emotional skills. So, for instance, that means not just covering, say, drugs or alcohol use, but helping kids understand and learn the skills they need to refuse them or help a friend in need. Or possibly a family member. Or a family member, exactly. We recently interviewed Jared Krasowska, as you may know the author of Hey Kiddo. Mm -hmm. He grew up in an unusual situation in which his mother was addicted to heroin and he was raised by his grandparents. Now, you recently covered the opioid crisis in your magazine. Mm -hmm. Why is it so important to address these issues with kids? I think there are a few reasons it's important. First and foremost, as a current event, the current drug epidemic is touching Every town in America, no one has been been immune to this. So first of all, just making kids, making students aware of what's happening. But along the same lines, it's about taking those headlines and showing the humanity behind it. We are trying to not just look at the drug epidemic. We're not just trying to warn kids about it. We're trying to 
tell really authentic stories of how it's touching, touching teenagers, how it's touching families. We've actually done, I think, one story um, for the past four years specifically about the opioid epidemic. Could you describe the most recent story that you published and how you made it age appropriate, but also of interest to your readers? The most recent story was a first person story from a teenager who became addicted to painkillers after being prescribed them for a sports injury in eighth grade. And he, I believe he was now 18 or 19 at the time of the story. So really seeing how that prescription turned into addiction and how it plagued him throughout his teen years. He is able to talk about who he was before that, who he became, and how he learned to cope, how he learned to ask for help, lean on people around him for support. And these are very important skills that we try to embed into all of these stories that are engaging and compelling for kids, but we want to sneak that stuff in as well. And what are you hearing from teachers and students, your teacher subscribers, about how kids are responding to these articles or what types of stories they like to see? I think they're captivated. And I think that what we're hearing from teachers is that there isn't a classroom in this country that hasn't been touched by the current drug crisis. And that's something we try to keep in mind as we're figuring out the ways to tell these stories. So two years ago, we did a story called Heroin Took Over Our Town, and we sent a reporter, you know, we looked at the statistics, and sadly, it's not hard to find cities and towns throughout the country who have really high numbers of drug use and overdose deaths. We sent a reporter to New London, Connecticut, and she started talking to people there and found four teenagers with different connections to the crisis and told their stories. So we had a brother and a sister. The brother had been addicted the sister was dealing with the repercussions of that. We had another girl whose sister was in prison because of drug-related offenses, and, and, and she was addicted as well. And then we had another kid who had become addicted through a painkiller prescription. So really looking at it in a 360 sort of way and seeing all of the ways that it touches families and it touches communities. And as Jared showed in Hey Kiddo, it can result in you being raised by grandparents mm-hmm. or disrupting the entire family structure, not just affecting one person. Could you talk about some of the ramifications? I think that something that was really interesting for me reading Hey Kiddo, there's a moment in there where he doesn't want to tell his friend that he doesn't live with his parents. And I think that as adults, we look at a situation like this and we say, oh, you know, he has grandparents who are looking out for him. He has a home. And you kind of forget what it's like to be a kid and to, you know, how every little thing can make you feel so different. So, you know, number one, it's trying to build empathy in other kids, telling stories, letting them see that not everyone has a traditional family situation and that's okay. Um, so helping helping kids in that way. And I think also not being raised by your parents, it's helping them find support structures elsewhere. That's really important. Kids can feel very lost. They can feel, even if they have grandparents raising them, that their grandparents are from a different generation. So, okay, how do they find adults who can speak to them in their language or who are a little bit more in touch with the issues they're going through to help them? We know the power of a child seeing him or herself in the pages of a book. 
I think, for Jared. If he had had a book like this when he was growing up, he would have felt less isolated. Kids can see stories of addiction in the news, but that's not the same as feeling represented. How does Choices fill that gap? We try wherever possible to bring authentic teen voices into the story. So stories told in their own words or with a little help from us. We are thinking about every story in the sense that that story needs to be both, as we say, a window and a mirror. So we want kids who are struggling with these issues to be able to see themselves and not feel alone in the same way that Jarrett's book can help so many. But also uh, for other kids who aren't going through this, they're a window, right? Like they're a way to see and understand what other kids may be struggling with and building empathy and understanding. That's so wonderful, Kim. Thank you very much for talking with us. Of course. Happy to be here. Now, here's Jared J. Krasoska. Hi, Jared. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Tell us about Hey Kiddo. Hey Kiddo is a young adult graphic memoir told from the perspective of my 17-year-old self looking back to childhood and early adolescence and those teen years, just grappling with the fact that I had a mother who was addicted to heroin and spent a lot of her time incarcerated. I was raised by very loving grandparents who had some of their own demons as well that percolated throughout my childhood. It's challenging for me to talk about it because it's about me, but it's also a character. So I oscillate between saying talking in the first person, but then I feel awkward talking in the third person about myself. But the Jarrett character, it opens with the Jarrett character learning how to drive in a cemetery, because that's that's how my grandfather said, well, everybody's already dead. If you hit somebody, it's no big deal. And going back to trace the very beginnings of the Krasoska family and then what led up to all of this chaos that ensued. It's a tribute to your extended family that your mother isn't even the star of the show (laughs) with all of her demons. Tell us about Joseph and Shirley, a.k.a. Cheryl. Uh, They were beloved by everybody that knew them. They are, are... My my grandfather had a killer sense of humor, and my my grandmother had a very uh, silver tongue that would just bite and take you down. You know, it's interesting for me to to have written this because I'm known for, you know, middle grade stuff like Lunch Lady or the Jedi Academy series, and even just forget the subject matter, by the nature of Shirley's mouth, this needed to be for teens or older. Because if somebody ever wronged you, she would, you know, take her cigarette out of her mouth and say, well, just tell them to go shit in their hat. (laughs) And that was pretty typical. I mean, there was just watching any game show. She'd be, you know, judging whether or not the contestant was wearing a bra or not. And, you know, reading her her romance novels. Uh, She was a tough person to please. And you captured her beautifully. You were loving and relentless at the same time. And that was, you know, the difficult thing that I came to the conclusion that to truly write this book, no matter how much I loved these individuals, I had to be honest about who they were. And no matter how much animosity I had towards people, I had to be sympathetic to them as characters. So that's a big part of why we begin when my grandparents meet in high school. And then you just wonder, like, what made this person, like any book, what made this character be who they are? And so for me writing it, I had to dig deeper into my family history to say, well, you know, my my mother had these addictions, but she didn't have an easy childhood. Her mother was drinking all the time. Her mother was cursing her out. Her mother didn't approve of any of the people she hung out with. And part of the research, too, I found a runaway letter that my, my mother wrote to 
her parents, my grandparents, when she was 16. In turn, I wondered about Shirley's childhood and what demons she was combating. She certainly had some, you know, there's, there's interesting because they're, I don't, I'm not fully aware of all of them other than the fact that she grew up in the Great Depression. She had a lot more responsibilities. Um, and, and that's just it. The thing about life is if you, you have issues with your parent, well, they became some the way they are because of their upbringing. And so for me, I came to a lot of peace with this. Like, well, am I going to go all the way back to Sweden to the first bad parent in this lineage? You know, uh, there's, there's so much love throughout all of that. And everyone has a different way to express their love. Obviously, Shirley had a different way to express her love, but that it was all love, even if it was filled with expletives and judgment. So, you know, there there are some of her surviving friends who have alluded to me in, in recent years, like some of the stuff that she went through. Uh, and I didn't feel like it was necessary to dig that deep for the book, but just for my own personal reason, just to get a better understanding of you know, what made her tick. I speak so much about my grandparents and everything I do in my career, and I have that scholarship in their name. And I'm excited for people to get to know them as fully formed human beings. And we, we all have our flaws and we all have our quirks. And rightfully so, I think they, they steal the book. They steal they, the show. They truly do. Were you ever embarrassed by them as a kid? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I think like any kid at some point, you're embarrassed by your parents. But I was I was very embarrassed at one point that, I was being raised by my grandparents because I didn't see that in any of my other peers. And that's where not only am I honest about the people, I have to be honest about myself and my own shortcomings and things that I did as a kid that weren't kind, like not wanting them at my eighth grade graduation, which I touch upon about in the book, and, and then realizing that how much I hurt their feelings by trying to get them not to come to that graduation party. Yeah. When did you decide that you wanted to write the book? And why did you want to take the topic on? I started thinking about writing a book about my upbringing around the year 2000. So I had just gotten a contract for my first picture book. That picture book was then published in 2001. And so for me, I thought, okay, that's the happy ending. Like I had this tough childhood, I had art, and now I'm I'm getting a book published. That's the end game. Hooray. Uh, but every time I'd sit down to write the book, I would stop and think, oh, like, what is this person going to think about it? What is this kind of person think about this portrayal of them? So then I'd shelve it because I realized if I wasn't going to be brave enough to write the book as is, I just I had no business writing it just yet. So over the over the years, but I would keep going back to it. Like you know, when I was working on the Lunch Lady books, and those those books were first launched in two thousand and nine. You know, those books have very crisp, clean cartoon line work, and I would take out a scrap piece of paper and I would just start drawing my grandparents in a very free formed line. And it was this idea that just kept coming back and kept coming back and coming back to me and just, for lack of a better expression, like festering inside me, just ready to burst out, like at the end of Aliens coming out of the chest <laughs> sort of thing. Now, getting back to your mother who grappled with addiction, heroin, and other substances for, what, 50 years? Close to 50 years, yeah. Uh, she So she started using when she was 15 or 16, and uh, she actually passed away when I was revising the text for this book. So she never got to read it or see it. She knew I was working on it. Still, I'm so sorry that she didn't get to see the finished book. It's absolutely stunning. You went through so much in your childhood. I mean, you had loving grandparents, and your mom loved you. Very much so, yes. Yeah. But... Still, you had a lot to grapple with. A lot to grapple with, and thankfully I had art. You know, my, my grandparents did not, they were of the generation which doesn't talk about things, you know, clearly in retrospect, like 
that kid should have been in therapy. That kid should have had an adult in an office they could talk to and say whatever they needed to. But I had sketchbooks, thankfully. And, and I filled those sketchbooks. And I've never researched a book more thoroughly, even though this is I lived this life. I did so much research. And part of getting into the mind of that narrator was looking through all of the old sketchbooks I kept, which are really dark at times. And you could, and I, when I look through those books and I, that kid was dealing with so much in their head and it, but it was coming through for the art. So at least there was a place for it to go. Now let's talk about how your grandparents enrolled you at the Worcester art museum for the weekly art classes, which was pretty remarkable. You talk about how the public school budgets were being slashed a lot. You hardly had art. You weren't a, an athletic kid. <laughs> I still am not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I noticed in the illustrations there are raw magazines. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, my grandparents, they, they sent me to classes at the Worcester Art Museum, and I took graphic novel classes and animation classes. And the teacher, Mark Lynch, who was, who's still a dear friend, he exposed us to so many alternative comics you know all i knew at the time were the sort of marvel and dc comics and so when we were editing this book you know david levithan the editor said you know i think in this scene you just kind of mentioned it i think we need to see what those books are well you know mark lynch is still a, a dear friend of, of mine so i emailed him and i said hey this is what, what comics did you actually show us and he still had the folder he kept from teaching that class. So he told me the actual comics he shared with us, and that's how I was able to draw them in the book. I do want to ask you about the color palette. Sure. Hey, kiddo. It has brown and rust and tan, and having spent a bit of my childhood in Worcester, I thought that was very apt. Could you tell us your decision behind that? We decided early on it would be a, a limited color palette, also to signal that this was something for older readers, to set it apart from middle grade. I chose the burnt orange color because of my grandfather's pocket squares. So so he, whenever he got dressed up for something, now when you're being raised by your grandparents, most of the things you see them getting dressed up for are the wakes and funerals for their, their friends and relatives, right? So I would see him getting dressed up quite a bit. And he'd always tell me, you know, put a little pop of color in your suit. So he, he had these pocket squares and his pocket squares were completely Joe. And after he passed and we were gathering his clothes to donate to charity, I just, I could not get myself to donate these pocket squares because they are just so symbolic of him. And my daughter, who was a year and a half at the time, sort of toddled over to this pile of pocket squares, picked one up, held it to her cheek, and she said, mine. She called it mine. She is now nine and a half, and she still sleeps with it every single night. And that pocket square is burnt orange. So I took a look at that pocket square, and that was the color we used for the sort of what you call it, I guess you could call it the signature color for the book that we use as a motif. So the orange was put in on the computer, but all of the gray skills you see were actually painted by hand. God, I love how you've included so many artifacts from your childhood, including even your mom's handwriting from the card she sent to you. But I was also struck by the pineapple motif that's at the beginning of each chapter. Is that something from your childhood home too? What's interesting is that, so I, so when, after my grandmother died and my grandfather wanted to empty out the house so that, so that we wouldn't have to deal with it after he died. And they had this late 1900s <laughs> grandparent thing to have, like the 70s and 80s. There was just like this hokey pineapple pattern. And it was always on the, on the kitchen walls. It was just, I, I associate that pattern with 
that kitchen table and the kitchen table is is the heart and the, the brain center of a family where we all we, no matter what my grandfather said we we might be all going in our different directions but we will sit together and eat every single night i said that all throughout growing up and so when he was unloading the house around 2006 2007 i found this roll of unused wallpaper and of course, they're like, I thought, oh, I never realized how colorful it was because my grandparents smoked two packs a day each, non-filters, and, and it was just a film of nicotine, of yellowness over that wall. And I didn't realize it was actually a, a white, creamish color. I thought it was like dark yellow. And I said, I took it. My grandfather said, what the hell are you, what the hell are you taking that for? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I said, I'm an artist. Maybe I'll make a project. Maybe I'll collage it into something someday. And so when we were designing the cover, and I was going through all of his materials that I had. And I said, you know what? I want to show the character in the kitchen. And I started drawing, recreating the wallpaper. And I thought, well, I have the actual wallpaper. So what I did was I scanned in the wallpaper and I printed it out on watercolor paper. I painted over it. I collaged, scanned that back in, manipulated that. And so you can see on the cover and you can see it in the actual scenes in the kitchen. But Phil Falco, who is the genius art director on this took that and used it for the motif for the chapter openers. It's just, it's stunning. I want to give a shout out too to your mom's siblings. Yeah, oh, they've been, <laughs> yeah. they've been through quite a bit too. Yeah, they are unsung heroes for sure. They are, and they are so supportive of you and so supportive of this book, which is a loving family warts and all. It is, and you know, I shared with them the the script, you know, I was just for them to see it. I wanted them to, I wanted to know if my memories were completely off you know, was, was my point. And obviously the story's from my point of view, but was I off on the personalities? Was I, was I off on some, some, some certain, you know, details? And aside from some specifics about the family business, like everything was, was right there. And, and also, do you want your name in this or not? Let me know now if you want your real name. And yeah, they, they laughed, they cried, they were angry. They relived some moments and they felt like they were spending time with our parents again. For sure. Uh, yeah, I, I just, that's such a tribute to them. Yeah. It's not easy. Some families are broken apart when somebody writes a book. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, and, and I don't think, you know, there should be, if you're writing a book about real life and about people that are alive and with us, publication day should not be the first time they're seeing it. It's not fair to them. So what are your big lessons about family, about history, about memory, having just completed this opus? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I mean, certainly for me, it helped me come to more peace, to come to more understanding, helped me bring some closure. I mean, I'm, I'm one who loves living with nostalgia and I love, you know, reflecting and talking about the good old days. And then there are parts where I was, when I was so involved working on this book, because it requires a lot of work that I thought, oh, I'm spending right now in this moment, I'm spending so much time looking back that I'm not spending as much time in the present. Right with my with my kids now, and my grandfather would always say, "Life is for the living," and so I carry the, their their memories with me. And my job right now is to live for the family that I've created. Right for to be a dad to my three kids, to 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 be a husband to my wife, and to to create this new Krasaska family and to continue the the name and have it keep going. Um, so we we honor the past, but we live for the present. Especially for young people, when I'm speaking to young people, I, I make sure that they know that it's, it's difficult to be a young person because you are not in charge of your current life so much. Like you're not in charge of necessarily where you live. 
you're not in charge of like, you know, who's around you. But when you grow up, you get to create your own reality. So if you if you work hard enough, if you follow your passions, you can, you can make anything happen. I love that. And I love how art saved you and often books save children when they have the most dire of circumstances. Absolutely. It's a yeah. it's an escape portal. Could you read a section for us? This is the start to chapter five, which is entitled Pen to Paper. And to set up this scene, uh, Jared, who is in his early teens, is sitting in his bedroom drawing. And in the background, you see some posters that he made, which are his actual artwork. And there's a knock at the door. And in walks his grandfather, Joe. Hey, kiddo. Hey, grandpa. Your grandmother and I have been thinking, and, and it's up to you, but we'd like to send you to classes at the Worcester Art Museum. Really? Really. You can choose any class you want. I earmark the page for kids 12 and up. doesn't matter how much it costs or what day it's on. We'll get you there. And in the next panel, you see the Jarrett character walking into the Worcester Art Museum, and the narrator speaks. At the time, public funding for art in the Worcester public schools kept getting slashed, and it went from having art once a week to once a month to not at all. Art was the only thing that I had any sort of interest in. I wasn't about to sign, sign up for Little League like all of my friends. And my grandfather says, okay, either me or Lynn or Holly will pick you up when class is done. And the Jared character walks into the lobby. Excuse me, I'm looking for the comic book class. It meets right over there. And we're introduced to Mark Lynch, who is the teacher. All right, class, I'm Mark. Follow me on up to the studio. Well, if you're a new student of mine, welcome. We're going to have so much fun making some great comics. And if you're a returning student, I can't wait to see what you come up with in this class. First things first, I want you all to come around and check out these comics I brought to share. Now, I know you all have your superhero comics, but I want to introduce you to some really different things here. Some really bizarre and different stuff. Important work. Mark brought in all sorts of comics. Things I never would have looked at otherwise. Some comics that I probably wouldn't have been allowed to pick up at the comic book shop. Every week, we'd come into class, and Mark would introduce us to a new cartoonist, and they'd play super weird underground music while we worked on our comics. He had us work on bristleboard and use indie ink, and he taught us how to use nib pens and draw with a brush like real cartoonists. Beautiful. God bless Worcester. They do have some things going for them. Oh, the Worcester Art Museum. <laughs> Worcester Art Museum is a gem, you know, and um, they're they're doing more and more with the community. Of course, the the Higgins Armory had closed, so they they took in all of the armor, and so it's an institution that I, I I think people use, but people should use even more. And you have a scholarship in your grandparents' name. Yes, after after my grandparents both passed, I sort of reflected on everything they had done for me in my life. And of course, the obvious was like, they raised me. They took me in when their last kid was about to leave the house. But they sent me to classes at the Worcester Art Museum at a time when I really, really needed it. That was greatly influential in my life. And, and I realized that there are a lot of kids who might also be being raised by, you know, it could be a grandparent, it could be an aunt, it could be an uncle, they could be in foster care. And maybe they love to draw, but their caretakers don't have the financial resources to send them there. So I started a, a scholarship. It's called the Joseph and Shirley Krasowska Memorial Youth Scholarship at the Worcester Art Museum. We just call it the Joe and Shirley Art Scholarships. And I raise money online every year on Cyber Monday, the Monday after Thanksgiving. And we, I do some live drawing on, on Facebook and YouTube, and then we put that all up on eBay. And I think we've raised close to $40,000 since we started it. Oh my gosh, that is remarkable. What a testament to them. 
Thanks so much for talking with us, Jared. Thank you. I know that there are a lot of young readers out there who have needed a book like this. Thanks so much again to Jared and Kim for joining me. And thank you for listening. To learn more about Hey Kiddo or Choices Magazine, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Don't miss an episode of Scholastic Reads. Find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and each episode will automatically be delivered to your phone. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer Lucas Elliott Ebro. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time. Thank you.